1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to
0: Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. Here we wrap up another busy week in the month of June and another challenging week uh, weather-wise and some interesting developments along the way as well. Coming up on our program today, we will talk with the president-elect of the National Corn Growers Association, Kevin Ross from Iowa, and we're going to talk about... uh, the possibility that the president may uh, change their approach to small refinery exemptions to the RFS. And certainly that's something that the corn growers would like to see. And uh, the national corn growers have a campaign uh, to kind of get that done. So we will learn more about that campaign and the efforts of the corn growers on that issue. Also, we have um, some movement on a tax extenders package. And that may be closer to happening, which would include the very important biodiesel tax credit, very important to that industry. Donnell Rehagen, the CEO of the National Biodiesel Board, will be joining us to update us on that. And then Charlie Arnott, CEO of the Center for Food Integrity, will be with us as well today to look at the growing environmental pressures on agriculture. They're pretty uh, intense right now, but uh, he thinks they're going to get even more intense in the future and he's going to talk about some ways for people in agriculture to deal with the ongoing environmental scrutiny and pressures being put on agriculture i mentioned uh, the changes to the rfs exemptions um, there are those saying today that the president has already ordered a clamp down on the small refinery exemptions and that uh, There are going to be some changes in that. It remains to be seen. Of course, we'll talk about that with Kevin Ross here in a bit. Uh, The president got a lot of um, input on that from Kevin Ross and others during that uh, trip recently to Iowa. So we will see what comes of that. And then also, of course, we're going to be watching very closely next week the the G20 meetings and uh, whether we can see some positive developments with the talks between the U.S. and China. Well, speaking of talks, let's talk now with Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Jerry, thank you for joining us. Uh, lots going on. Um, USDA has made a decision on moving up the date where uh, there can be haying and grazing on uh, prevent plant acres. It's not going to be November first. They moved it up to September first.
2: Uh, yes, that's right. And uh, I guess that uh, this can help the farmers in two ways. In if the if the farmer um, has his own uh, animal to feed uh, or graze, then, then the, the farmer can use it for that, or the, uh, the, the, what's taken off can be sold. And the National Cattlemen's Beef Association put out a release. In fact, they were the first one I got uh, saying how pleased they were by, uh, they were by this and that, that it will ease the, um, the supply of, of hay this fall.
0: House Ag Committee Chair Colin Peterson saying the changes will go a long way toward providing farmers and livestock producers with options to address the forage situation in many parts of the country. Uh, also in the House Ways and Means Committee, a step closer to getting a tax extenders package.
2: Uh, yes, uh, they, uh, they marked up the bill on, um, on Thursday. Uh, it was quite a week for Ways and Means. They also, um, they and the Senate Finance Committee uh, had hearings with, uh, with Trade Representative Lighthizer. Uh, and hopefully um, this moves uh, USMCA a little closer to getting approved.
0: USMCA, though, some are saying not before the August recess. What are you hearing?
2: Well, that's what I'm hearing, too. Uh, Congressman Blumenauer from Oregon who is the chair, uh, the chair, uh, chairman of the Trade Subcommittee in Ways and Means uh, says that it won't be before August. Now the big question that I have after Trudeau's visit is would, would, would Canada move ahead and approve it like Mexico did? And so that would leave the. US as the third uh, country. Uh, the other complication with that is the demands from uh, some of the Democrats in the House that that the bill, or the excuse me that the pact uh, covers certain things that it doesn't cover now, and so if Mexico and Canada approve it and they're still demanding more, well, uh, what does that uh, you know what does that mean? Can can they have approved it and then the U.S. wants to make some changes in it? Uh, Congressman Panetta from California suggested to me that there would have to be an annex or a side letter um, on some of these uh, labor enforcement issues. That's a big issue for the Democrats is that Mexico is supposed to uh improve its conditions for its workers uh, their abilities to unionize, and uh you know this would keep wages up, which would make the u s uh, more competitive and uh, uh, that that is the the toughest issue uh to deal with, and the Democrats look like they're pretty insistent on something coming out of that.
0: They seem very similar. In some ways, of what we went through with the farm bill and uh, all the wrangling and negotiating and uh, put off to right at the end, I mean, it kind of makes you wonder how this summer is going to go with this.
2: Well, that's right, uh, and uh, part of it, uh, you know, wh- one thing is if they don't do it in uh, before, you know, in July, and that just seems like a really short window for me to get it uh, to, uh, to get it done, although. Uh, Trade Representative Lighthizer says that he could resolve a lot of these things in, in one session. He wants specific demands, and he wants to give specific responses. Uh, a lot of this is political, that everybody wants to be able to claim some kind of victory um, on being uh, t- uh, tough on this. Uh, but that takes some time to work it out. Uh, that is a real, you know, the real legitimate legislative process. Um, so we'll have to see the time, but it is possible Congress will go home in August without a deal, and then theoretically there would be a lot of pressure uh, to uh, over the August recess uh, for them to approve it in September.
0: But no doubt there is a lot of political gamesmanship uh, going on here. Uh, also next week, of course, uh, all attention will be on the G20 meeting.
2: Uh, yes and uh, uh you know and uh president uh trump uh uh meeting with the chinese leader which he has said uh he will do but i would have to say Lighthizer was not did not sound very optimistic about a deal with uh with china uh when he appeared before ways and means uh you know he said i don't know if we're going to get a deal or not and that pr- that president trump would be insistent on the provisions that he w- that he wants so badly particularly protection for us intellectual property so we could have these, these uh, uh, tariffs and the retaliatory tariffs on for a long time. Uh, and that does worry me because it could disturb international markets for the foreseeable future.
0: Yeah, we get excited just to when they talk, and we'll see what happens. Of course, there's also we'll see what happens between the U.S. and Japan, too, if anything gets worked out there. All right, Jerry, thanks a lot. We'll talk next week.
2: All right, great. All right. Thanks, Mike.
0: Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. So is the administration going to change its policies on granting these small refinery exemptions to the RFS? National corn growers sure hope so. We'll talk with their president-elect Kevin Ross next on AOA.
3: Soybean growers are going all in on Ingenia herbicide. Now BASF is going all in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee so you can have true peace of mind. And you can tap into our expanded Grow Smart rewards program and get cash back. Go all in today at IngeniaHerbicide.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions.
0: Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, right now I want to talk about beef trade. Joining us is Kent Backus, Senior Director of International Trade for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Kent, thanks for joining us. Uh, bring us up to date on where we're at with the European Union. Now, they're going, to, they're going to accept more U.S. beef, right? But what are the details on this?
2: Well, Mike, that's the, that's the big question is, uh, yes, we've seen the plans and we've seen this announcement come out, but this is not implemented, and I think that's important for everyone to remember, that we can't uh, start popping champagne bottles just yet because the good news is, is that the, the Europeans have agreed to a, a U.S.-specific quota of 35,000 metric tons. But the concern is whether it will actually be implemented and when. So we're very supportive of this step forward. We think it's a, a, it's a nice step forward. It's certainly welcome news, but we can't celebrate just yet.
0: For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
4: You're going to need me. You're going to need us.
5: All of us.
6: You're going to need our technical skills,
5: our math, our engineering skills.
4: You're going to need our help with your water, your air, your food. You're going to need our organizational skills, our problem solving skills.
5: You're going to need our determination, our honesty, our compassion
6: you're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the
4: future will bring. And we promise, we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org.
5: No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date?
0: You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news
1: from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well,
0: President Trump has directed members of his cabinet to review the administration's use of waivers exempting small refineries from the renewable fuel standard. Will that review lead to any changes in policy by the administration on these waivers? Let's talk about that with Kevin Ross, president-elect of the National Corn Growers Association. Kevin, evidently uh, what you said to the president recently in Iowa at least got him to look at the uh, their policy. Now we wait to see if they're actually going to change it.
7: Yeah, uh, you know, Know, stop granting the waivers and they're certainly doing that um i just hope it doesn't take too long it's been going on long enough that's for sure
0: uh, corn growers you've got a campaign to call attention to this issue tell us about it
7: yeah so we um you know i wanted to wanted to take uh, the, the moment to capitalize on you know on the momentum we've got in the industry right now and and certainly uh to, to uh you know just hammer on these on these small refinery exemptions we we Want to make sure that the message is getting out that uh, you know loud and clear that that hey this has got to stop. And uh, we took out some ads yesterday uh, uh, on a few TV stations in the DC area, um, and also I think they're running nationally on uh, on Fox and maybe some other places too. But uh, you know, trying to make sure that uh, the, the news sources that the president sees, as well as other places, um, understand the issue and, and know we got to we got to work on this and fix it
0: as has been pointed out uh, the president has pledged support for the renewable fuels industry but he has also pledged support for the oil industry where do we find middle ground on this you know i
7: think uh... the oil industry certainly has had uh, a lot of support over the years um, you know we're, we're going on uh... on a, almost a century or over a century's worth of uh... oil sports and things like that from the federal government so uh... I think they've had their fair share, but they also, you know, they did some things to open up exports and things like that for them already. So it's not like he hasn't shown support for them as well. Um, It's just time to fix the issues that we know we can deal with here at home and things that, uh, you know, are affecting agriculture in a negative way. And and, uh, this is one of the key spots that, you know, we can improve our markets and and, uh, look towards the future.
0: Have you received any indication from anyone in the administration when uh, we might see some kind of an announcement on this or decision on this?
7: you know we have not um and as i said before i just i'm really just hopeful that uh you know they're going to do this review i just hope it doesn't take too long like i said we we've, we've um you know we've been vocal on this before but it's one of those situations that you know we we finally had a platform really to get directly to the president say here you go um you know this is this is going on long enough and um it's uh, and it's really choking the industries that uh uh you know that are here at home and ethanol and biodiesel and, and it's not just you know one of those industries that it's affecting it's it's everybody that's in the renewable fuels arena And so um you know we're gonna work hard we're gonna get that done i think uh we'll, we'll see how this review goes we'll weigh, weigh in on it as national Corn and pb um if they're coming to us for information and i'm sure all the ethanol industry and and uh other biofuels industries as well will be will be talking to them too
0: we're talking with Kevin Ross, president-elect of the National Corn Growers Association. Kevin, this, of course, follows a, a lot of uh, information that is starting to come out now about how the administration has approached these waivers in the past and the way they've gone about it. And I think it has led to a lot of, well, we told you so, or this this is what we suspected all along.
7: <laughs> yeah, you know, the, um, it seems like, uh, you know, that they've, Really under under Pruitt, uh, administrator Pruitt, there was uh, just a a complete curveball that he threw, and and um, uh, that's really what's causing a lot of issues. And and uh, you know we'd be better off if uh, if that guy probably wasn't ever administrator. But um, that's the the cards that we're dealt, and we're dealing with that and trying to you know trying to move forward in a positive fashion and get these industries back on track.
0: Because there's no doubt, as we've talked many times before, even though you now have e fifteen year round, uh, if these exemptions continue to be granted, it's really going to undermine the RFS and it's going to take away the impact of having e fifteen sales year round.
7: yeah, one hundred percent true. Um, you know e fifteen is a great thing, a great step forward moving you know moving the needle on ethanol and, and giving consumers that option and what they can buy. but but uh, you know you you gotta have all parts of this thing moving you know moving in the same fashion and, and uh um if the r f s in' its, in its you know normal uh you know in the fashion Congress intended is not you know held up in that same way then then everything just kind of falls apart a little bit, and the industries like i said are are just kind of held back and and um really we're not realizing the full potential of what biofuels can do for our nation and and you know for all of us out here in the in the countryside raising crops so uh, we're hopeful that we can, you know, continue to work with the administration and, and make sure we get this right and we can, um, like I said, help them in any way possible. And we're, we're here ready and willing to do that as well as a lot of our, you know, our folks in the Midwest, our congressmen, senators that, that have been weighing in on this, issue, this issue as well. And we really appreciate their support.
0: Kevin, uh, the ethanol industry uh, uh, facing some tough economic times and with some higher corn prices, there's talk of some in the ethanol industry, some ethanol plants looking perhaps to buy a corn from Brazil. What's your reaction to that?
7: You know, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think, uh, you, know, you know, this uh, this corn crop, we're, we're just a long ways from seeing what it's going to do. Uh, we've got a lot of corn in storage out there, but farmers are holding pretty tight to it, you know. and um, It's i think it's just a testament to see the, the challenges we've had this spring so it'll be interesting to see how we feed all these markets that we've got but uh you know farmers will produce and and there's uh a, a lot of corn that that we can use and and it's going to get uh this carryout's going to shrink that's this year for sure so um we'll see where it all comes from but uh you know if, if there is some coming in from a different country it probably won't be much
0: Um uh, we're also of course uh you know, the challenges of this growing season are going to be felt for for some time. Uh, what are you hearing from your members around the country as far as what they're dealing with, what they're facing?
7: You know, I've been on the phone with uh, folks from, you know, probably 10 different states, uh, at least, that, uh, and, um, you know, trying to find out, get a handle on, on how bad the situation is. And,
6: and, you know, in all reality,
7: if, if there's not uh, – uh, if it's not real bad in one state, they still have some issues. You know, every state's got some extra prevent plan, it seems like, including my home state of Iowa. So uh, we'll see where everything shakes out. But, you know, you talk to guys in the eastern Corn Belt, and uh, you really feel for the issues that they've got and uh, the hand that they've been dealt this spring with so much moisture. And um, It's not just them, though. That's the issue. It's, it's uh, a lot of other places that, you know, you might have uh, uh, some crop planted, but, you know, the, a lot of people did not get – uh, did not get enough growing season or enough, you know, areas dried out that they could get everything done. So, uh, just a unique situation, and um, you know, it, it's something we don't deal with uh, very often in, in this type of extreme. So, um, you know, hopefully we won't have to
4: won't have to deal with it
7: in the coming years either. But we got to get through 2019 first.
0: Kevin, on the trade front, the, there's more talk now. Some in Congress are saying that the, there's not going to be a vote on USMCA. Uh, until after the august recess are you at all concerned about this getting done this year or or do you think there's going to be uh too many hurdles to overcome and it'll get pushed back
7: i tell you you know we're going to need a lot of our you know a lot of folks out there in the countryside that call their members of congress and talk to them and say hey get this done you know flat out this is something that we just you know we can't afford to be keeping this uncertainty in those markets and mexico just passed the agreement the other day and uh, it's time for us to move this forward uh get this thing you know off the table it's i don't care whether you're an r or a d just go out there and vote for this thing and you know help out the help the country out and get this thing passed It's something that um like I said folks need to engage on make sure they're talking to their uh, their members of Congress and let them know that that trade's important to them and important to the markets that that we service
0: yeah, Representative Earl Blumenauer, a Democrat from Oregon, chairman of the House Ways and Means Trade subcommittee. Saying uh, this week, uh, he thinks it's very unlikely that something is going to happen before the August recess. Even though there's been a push by your group and several ag groups to get this done,
7: you know, very unlikely doesn't mean not. Doesn't mean it's mm-hmm. not going to happen. So uh, I'd say if there's a, you know, a slim chance in there, or a glimmer of hope that we can grab onto and uh, hopefully push them a little harder and um you know it's going to take help though we gotta we gotta have a lot of folks uh pushing this thing and you know making sure that they want to they want to move this now and and not wait for that that after that august recess so um you know like i said hopefully we can get get folks motivated to to pass usmca and we're going to be working hard as NCGA and myself and others to uh make sure we're out there doing the job and and pushing them but um it's it's going to take a lot more effort than that too to 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 get these guys to move off a of, off of center on this one.
0: All right, Kevin. Uh, hopefully some positives will be coming soon. Thank you very much for the update. Appreciate it.
7: Hey, glad to be on this morning. Thanks a lot.
0: Take care, Kevin. Kevin Ross, president-elect of the National Corn Growers Association. Well, there's a lot of environmental pressures on agriculture right now, but Charlie Arnott, CEO for the Center for Food Integrity, says more pressures coming. We'll talk about that next here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up.
4: My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction. Plus, the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs, running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today, 800-745-3327, 800-745-3327.
8: Time now for a market Agriculture, I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Grain futures at the Board of Trade were lower overnight. July options expire on this Friday. Some traders might take profits now before buying back into more long positions on the grains next week. July corn retreated to test key support at 438 yesterday, the high for May 29th. We bounced from that level. July soybeans on the upside. Bulls see resistance and a target at this week's high at 921.5. We are not operating near that level an hour into the day. July soybeans at nine ten and three quarters. Orders November down five and a half at nine thirty five and a half. Corn fractional changes. July up a half at four fifty and a half. December at four sixty one, unchanged. For the wheats, Chicago July up a penny and three quarters at five twenty eight and a quarter. Kansas City wheat July down a penny at four fifty nine and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat July down a fraction at 537 and a half new crap september at 546 up a half cent livestock at the Merck hog futures said to be searching for a bottom in the current downtrend july on the low of the day an hour in down two bucks at 77.22 that contract has fallen over 20 percent since hitting a high in early April in live cattle futures august down a dollar five at 10290 Feeder Cattle August down a dollar at 133.70. Cash cattle trade, live deals yesterday in the South, 108 to 110, generally a dollar or two lower compared to the prior week. Dress business at 178 to 183, roughly three to four dollars lower. On Wall Street, the Dow is up six points. SP down three. August crude oil up 40 cents. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network.
0: Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news
1: from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Pressure on
0: agriculture on environmental issues has been growing the last several years and looks to probably intensify in the years to come. Let's talk about that with the CEO for the Center for Food Integrity, Charlie Arnott. Charlie, thank you for being with us. I know uh, it, it, it certainly looks like the, the, the public at large and maybe some policymakers uh, don't feel that agriculture is doing enough when it comes to reducing uh, its carbon footprint. Now, agriculture has a good story to tell, but there seems to be a, kind of a, a disconnect here right now.
9: Well, you're exactly right, Mike. And there are a number of things that are that are at play here, kind of simultaneously. It's a change in consumer attitudes, consumer per, uh, consumer purchasing behavior, uh, the emergence and the growth of the purpose-driven consumer. Uh, we're also seeing that lack of appreciation and awareness of what actually happens on farms, the bias against size and scale of agriculture, and a number of other factors. But let's let's unpack that a little bit if we can. Um, and, you know, our, our, our trust research from the Center for Food Integrity shows only 30% of consumers strongly agree that U.S. farmers take good care of the environment, while 60% are kind of ambivalent and unsure about that question. So that's a, that's a real opportunity for those in agriculture. And that's despite the fact that, as you noted, we've just had remarkable improvements. But one of the, one of the challenges I think we have is that we really haven't reframed or talked about the improvements in productivity and efficiency and how those actually translate to farming being actually more sustainable? Um, you know, this is a few examples with dairy. Since the 1940s, dairy reduced the carbon footprint of every gallon of milk by more than two thirds. Um, while we continue to increase the amount of pork that we produce over the last 50 years, producers are now using less than 75 or more than 75 percent less land, 25 percent less water, and 7 percent less energy, which is just phenomenal. And wheat farmers, I mean, they've increased yields by more than 25%, now producing the same amount of wheat on 28% less land, with 47% less soil erosion and 12% less irrigated water. So in agriculture, we've historically talked about those as improvements in productivity and efficiency, but we haven't captured and communicated that they actually translate to improvements in sustainability. And I think that's one of the real opportunities we have. The other fundamental change that we're seeing, Mike, is is really a a change in the marketplace. This is from a recent Harvard Business Review, where 50% of the growth in the consumer packaged goods category from 2013 to 2018 came from sustainably marketed products. Half the growth from consumer packaged goods companies came from sustainably marketed products. So that's an indicator that there is demand, because these are companies that would not be marketing those claims if there wasn't demand. Now, in agriculture, there's always the debate about, well, are these companies creating demand by by putting sustainable focused labels on the package, or is there actual demand? And I think what this information would show is is there's actual demand. Now, are they going to promote that and capture that by putting those claims on their products? Absolutely. I think the opportunity is for agriculture to be much more engaged in that conversation um, because products that had a sustainability claim on pack accounted for over 16 percent of the market in 2018, up from 14 percent in 2013, and delivered nearly $114 billion in sales, up 29 percent from 2013. So this is a trend, it's not a fad. And so what that means to agriculture, to me, from, from my perspective, is how do we capture the value in that, and really capture the value of what agriculture has done and is doing to improve sustainability, largely by, coming, by becoming more productive.
0: So there's so much discussion on this topic that that's about agriculture but is is agriculture really involved in those discussions or, or are they just being talked about and just dealing with what's uh, people want to force on agriculture through regulation or whatever it may be.
9: Well, it's a great question and I think there are efforts that are taking place US farmers and ranchers alliance the various commodity groups CFI and others are all helping to try and tell that sustainability story, but not yet at a sufficient volume and not consistently enough. We also don't have enough internal alignment. Uh, We still have a lot of those in agriculture who are struggling with this whole concept of sustainability and viewing it as a threat instead of an opportunity. And obviously, there's downsides as well. Clearly, if, if, if additional requirements are mandated that increase the cost of production, without any increased value, then those costs to staff can be borne by farmers and and those in agriculture are naturally suspicious and concerned about that. But I think the real opportunity is to do a much better job of communicating what's already been done because we've made such phenomenal progress and we continue to make progress every single year. But we do know that those global brands that are focused on continuing to grow market share, continuing to meet consumer demand, are going to increase – their interest in sustainability. This is not an issue that's going to go away. So we really need to continue to improve in in, uh, both our commitment and our execution to telling the story of what's happening with sustainability in agriculture today.
0: We're talking with Charlie Arnott, CEO for the Center for Food Integrity. Charlie, traditionally, historically, uh, there's been a trust factor that the public's had with farmers. Is that still the case, or has that eroded in recent years?
9: Well, it's a great question, Mike. And what we see is there's is still a great deal of trust in farmers, but not necessarily a trust in farming. And that helps people understand that, yes, the size and scale of agriculture has changed, but the commitment of farmers to do what's right has never been stronger. What our research has shown is that just one in five respondents believe that small farms will put their interest ahead of public interest, but that number more than doubles when you talk about a large farm. So there's a perception that profit will will override public interest and doing the right thing as farms get larger and we continue to use more technology. Well, farms are getting larger, and we are using more technology. But we can overcome that bias against size and scale by helping people understand that our commitment to do what's right has never been stronger. So we've got to be more engaged in telling that story and communicating and having that conversation with both the supply chain as well as with consumers to help them understand what we're doing. And there are a lot of innovative operations that are doing that today in terms of social media, taking advantage of Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. I mean, there's just a whole number of farmers that are doing that and doing it well. We just have to encourage more of that and then also encourage more direct supply chain engagement so that those in the food system understand what's already been done and that agriculture continues to be committed to operating more sustainably every single year.
0: How big a factor is the big is bad feeling? How much of a factor is that among consumers?
9: I'd say that's probably the largest driver among consumers. Um, Again, that belief that the larger the farm, the larger the food company, the more likely they are to put profit ahead of public interest. And people understand and want farmers and they want farms to be profitable. They don't have an objection to being uh, for agriculture being profitable. They want farms to be profitable. What they're concerned about is that profit will supersede every other motive. Now. Anybody who's had any exposure to farmers understands that is absolutely not the case. If they were putting profit first, it'd probably be a some type of other business. But we have to do a better job of communicating our commitment to do what's right for people, animals, and the planet every single day uh, because that's where the skepticism breeds. When people see things happening on farms, they read about environmental incidents or animal care incidents, it drives that skepticism. So that bias against size and scale is really the primary driver that's eroding trust. And the only way to overcome that is to be more engaged and more effective in communicating our commitment to do what's right.
0: Well, we're certainly seeing more and more uh, attention paid to and publicity around advertising campaigns and things like that on certain products saying, our product is better, and it's, it's produced better, and it's, it's healthier for you and, and protecting the planet. That seems to be the, the way for some of these advertising campaigns, which then makes it sound like anybody else is doing something wrong.
9: Yeah, it does, and the, the absence label claims are challenged. And I think part of what we have the opportunity to do in agriculture is to reduce the temptation for marketers to go to the dark side and go to the absence label claim helping people understand the broad-based commitment to sustainability and the fact that everybody involved in agriculture is producing more using less every single year. But there will continue to be demand for us to do that. But, Mike, that's something that farmers have done since the beginning of time. We continue to be more productive using fewer resources every single year. This is just going to continue to test our ability to make that happen on an ongoing basis.
0: I think farmers sometimes say, I've I've seen comments that where they've said, we're tired of being told, we have to tell our story, we have to do this and that. But that is part of it now, right? I mean, you have to be involved in that.
9: Yeah, it is, unfortunately. I mean, you know, people didn't go into farming to, to be necessarily engaged in public relations or communications or social media, and I certainly appreciate that. But it is absolutely a requirement if we want to change the outcome. Um, it would be terrific if we could simply rely on others – to carry that message and tell the story for us, but there's no one who's going to carry it with the same credibility as the men and women who are involved in farming every single day. And so we really need them to be involved and to commit to being engaged in whatever way is comfortable for them, whether it's speaking in their local community, having a Facebook page for the farm, posting photos on Instagram. There are a lot of people that are out there and doing it really, really well. But we need more. And we also have to do a better job of engaging with the food system and that's where our associations and check-up organizations can continue to play a growing role in helping the food system understand that shared commitment of all of those in agriculture to operate in a sustainable way every single day on the farm.
0: It's a critical issue, and we started off by saying uh, this uh, pressure is going to intensify. It's not going to go away. Charlie, thank you very much. Always good to talk with you.
9: Mike, always a pleasure. Thank you. Take care.
0: Charlie Arnott, CEO for the Center for Food Integrity, joining us here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up.
6: Sometimes life is wonderful
0: Recently on Adams on Agriculture, talking with Maggie Ellawani with the National Rural Health Association. Maggie, you talked about the number of rural hospitals closing. Are we also seeing uh, mergers, takeovers uh, happening uh, within the uh, rural hospital system as well?
4: We certainly are, and there's been an increase in mergers, and, and some of those have been very positive. They've helped some small rural providers with the cash flow they need to keep their doors open. Others, and this is really frustrating, have purchased some of these facilities only to close them a short time afterwards. So simply being bought out and merging with another facility doesn't mean that we're going to be able to ensure access to care in those rural communities. So we really need kind of a long-term strategy of really thinking about why these hospitals are closing and what we need to do to change them. And it's because there's been so many different cuts that have occurred to these hospitals.
0: For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams
4: on Agriculture. Want to reduce your risk of heart disease, diabetes, and stroke? Simple. Eat right. This is Registered Dietitian Nutritionist Melissa Dobbins. A healthy diet can mean a healthier you, so eat a variety of proteins each week. Seafood, lean meat, poultry, beans, and nuts. Fill half your plate with fruits and vegetables at every meal. Choose foods that are lower in calories, fat, and sodium. Limit your alcohol and maintain a healthy weight. Let a registered dietitian nutritionist help you achieve your goals. Find one near you at eatright.org.
6: Hi, I'm George Foreman. Do you have an idea for a new product or invention? People ask me all the time, George, how do I get my idea in front of companies? How do I get a patent? What do I do next? Do you have the same questions I'll tell you like I'll tell them all? Call my friends at InventHelp. To get your free inventor's information, call 1-800-352-0432. That's 1-800-352-0432. I believe every inventor deserves the opportunity to step into the ring and take their best shot. Put InventHelp in your corner.
5: Hi, I'm Greg Peterson of the Peterson Farm Brothers. If you've seen our videos, you know we're proud to be farmers. Farming can be dangerous. Never assume location or depth of underground utilities or pipelines. Before you start any work on your farm, call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com to have underground lines located. It only takes a minute and can save your
1: life. Never assume the location or depth of underground lines. Always call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com before you start work. A message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety Campaign.
3: Soybean growers are going all in on Ingenia herbicide. Now BASF is going all in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee so you can have true peace of mind. And you can tap into our expanded Grow Smart rewards program and get cash back. Go all in today at Ingeniaherbicide.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions.
0: Well, a step forward in the uh, long journey to get a tax extenders package passed, including the biodiesel tax credit. A House Ways and Means Committee bill would extend that tax credit and other tax incentives. Let's talk about it with Donnell Rehagen, who is the CEO of the National Biodiesel Board. Donnell, thank you for joining us. Um, Where does this step take us? How close does this get us to getting this uh, done?
9: Well, it's some very important progress and something that we've been uh, waiting for for several months now. So obviously these revenue bills must come out of the House. And so the uh, action last night by the Ways and Means Committee is a very strong first step and now allows the Senate to kind of uh, consider and begin some negotiations uh, for that final
0: package. So it is a process. It, it does. It's not a final uh, decision, but it, it at least moves the needle in the right direction, and and that's uh, that's been a challenge to get that done.
9: Well, it has been, and I think it's just uh, probably a reflection of the politics, and you know, in Washington D.C., we've got a Senate that's been poised for months now to uh, take up a, a bill such as this, and so it's just taken a little while for the House, to, their leadership, to kind of get themselves in place and to figure out uh, how they're going to proceed forward. So. We're excited about the progress, and now uh, though the work continues.
0: Do you feel good in the Senate, and you got uh, Charles Grassley and some other supporters there? Do you feel good about uh, moving through the Senate?
9: We do. You know, Senator Grassley has always been our biggest champion, and so he's indicated uh, months ago what his uh, his goal and his intentions are, and so. But it's a it's a process, right? And so it's a, sort of like a tennis match. The ball went over the net to the Senate, and now it's going to have to, you know, be worked out and go back uh, back to the House. So uh, it's not going to be an easy process. Uh, there's uh, lots of lots of considerations, lots of politics in play, and so it's it's going to take a lot of effort. And uh, we're up for the cause.
0: What's the biggest obstacle? What's holding this back?
9: Well, I think the good news from yesterday's uh, discussions during Ways and Means Committee was the realization that a long-term tax incentive is what, really what's needed, not just by our industry but by all of those impacted by these tax extenders. This ongoing practice of retroactive tax credits, it really does very little to incentivize new and growth in that industry. And so uh, this, uh, the, the good news out of last night was that this biodiesel tax incentive if it stays as proposed, would be extended through 2020. So we at least have one prospective year uh, as well as part of 2019, you know, should this get done in the next few months. And so uh, that's good news, and hopefully that means we can continue that conversation with the House and Senate leadership about what happens after 2020 and how to put this this tax credit in a position to really let this industry take off the way that it really can.
0: And as we've talked before, this is critical to the biodiesel industry. Uh, Also some news, the administration is uh, reviewing how it handles uh, the small refinery exemptions. We've talked before, these have been very harmful to the biodiesel industry as well.
9: They have been, and and we're very excited that uh, the president has seen the light on this issue. Uh, Those small refinery exemptions have been very uh... liberally distributed over the last few years and we've been indicating regularly what that's doing to our industry and the ethanol industry as well the argument that we have is really biodiesel is more impacted by SREs than even the ethanol industry is because uh... of the way the nested program works within the RFS and so uh, we want to make sure we uh, we, we support the president and his request that the EPA and Administrator Wheeler take a deeper look at what the true impacts are of these SREs and make sure that uh, the, the right decision is made this time and to be very judicious with those um, and to make sure that there's growth for the biodiesel industry.
0: Because there's been information finally coming out, which has been long suspected of, of really – the misuse of this uh, of these exemptions, the way they've been granted in the past.
9: Absolutely, uh, you know we're seeing the Exxon's and the you know the Conicos of the world, some of the largest companies in the entire world, um, you know, receiving small refinery exemptions, uh, and those exemptions were were put in the books originally to allow for uh, those who are seeing economic hardship. Uh, to receive to receive some relief from the RFS program. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't see Exxon or Conoco as being a small refinery in the first place, uh, and nor when you look at their uh, quarterly earnings reports do I uh, sense any level of economic hardship. So, we've definitely taken issue with the EPA changing the rules of the game over the last couple of years compared to the first six or eight. Uh, of the RFS and beginning to just grant these uh, these exemptions to any refinery who asks.
0: And we wait for the final levels to be announced for next year for under the RFS. I know you'd like to see those increase for biodiesel, but that, that's been a, a tough lift for you as well.
9: Well, it has been. Uh, there's really no reason for it other than, you know, everybody uh, – Trying to balance the needs of of competing industries, the renewable fuel industry and the refining industry, and and we understand that that happens. Uh, But our industry has demonstrated year on year that we can far surpass the volumes that the EPA is setting. And so, in some ways, the RFS not growing is hindering our growth. Uh, If those goals and those numbers would be increased to where we believe they should be, which would be several hundred million gallons a year more than what the EPA is setting them. Uh, it would be a springboard for our industry to do even better and greater things. And so uh, that's been our message. Our, we uh, we let the facts speak for themselves. We're not making this stuff up. You know, anybody can look at these numbers, including the EPA, and see this. So we want to see the RFS do what Congress intended, which is really to increase the volume of renewable fuels in the marketplace year on year.
0: Yeah, these are domestic industries that uh, – uh have so much more potential. I mean, we've, we've seen a lot of the potential realized, but only really scratching the surface, especially in the case of biodiesel. Donnell, good to talk with you again, and uh, yeah. uh, hopefully these positive steps will lead us to, a, to a, a good conclusion here soon on these issues. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mike. Donnell Rehagen, CEO of the National Biodiesel Board. Well, that wraps it up for today. I hope you have a good weekend. Well, next week uh, we'll have a lot of conversation, of course, about the G20 meetings and... Uh, those issues uh, and and their impact on agriculture for sure. So hope you'll join us. Thanks for being with us today. As always, uh, we appreciate you being with us here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.